This is One North Stories. Our goal here is quite simple. We provide hyper-local, brand-based storytelling at the intersection of science, technology, and business here in Singapore with a global perspective. We are starting with a launch series focused on technology startups and then plan to take the podcast broader, telling our stories, your stories, about the Singapore deep tech ecosystem. Whether you work as a venture capitalist on Sand Hill Road or in Southeast Asia, already doing R&D in Singapore, or perhaps a student dreaming big about technology, or someone in between. Join us to learn about the exciting technology being developed in our labs in Singapore, their translation journeys to market, and the inspirational people coming together to make yesterday's dream reality. If you have future episode ideas, segment ideas, or want to partner with us on this exciting journey, please get in touch. Our contact details are in the show notes. These are our stories. We hope they inspire you to create your own. And now, on to the show. Obstructive sleep apnea, it affects a billion people worldwide and 200 million just in the US and Europe. So that's a lot of people. And it's actually a pretty devastating disease. So, you you know, it keeps you awake at night so you don't get good sleep. It causes a lot of cardiac issues, all those waking and sleep cycles. Puts a lot of stress on your heart. It also puts a lot of stress on your brain. So your brain, you actually end up developing more dimensions and things like that. You take this university equipment, we identify parameter spaces for specific patients, and then you downscale the device to something that's discrete, that's portable, that's super easy to use, and that people don't absolutely detest the way they detest their PAT machine. Coming from the very, very early stage technologies, it's really important to think about the right experiments and how to de-risk your pathway as quickly as possible. And, and for me, that it really includes clinical trial. How, what's the fastest path to get into a human clinical trial? But the added value was that we were speaking with a consultant whose primary focus in life was access to Asian markets. And I'm sure some listeners have noticed that's not a small market. It was a super value connection and learning experience to start to see how you can really market or manufacture in that specific part of the world. That's really the great thing about a startup is we've already grown in ways that we never would have planned or anticipated. And you just have to allow the science, the company, the people to live their own life. And it could end up going unforeseen directions. Today, we have Billy, Wiley, and Adam on the show to share about Somniel. I first met Wiley at Switch, the Singapore Week of Innovation and Technology. He was here to pitch Somniel at Slingshot 2023. I made it to the finals in the health and biomedical category. Founded in 2022, the startup is developing bioelectronic medicine to treat a condition that affects 1 billion people worldwide, sleep apnea. Having proven the technique in the lab, they're currently downsizing the electronics to create a wearable device to stimulate nerves to move the tongue out of the way while you sleep. The technology has great promise for applications beyond also, and even treatment corollaries with acupuncture. The three co-founders split across the Atlantic have absolutely fantastic chemistry, and we look forward to the great solutions they are creating. Enjoy the interview. Hello and welcome to One North Stories. Today we have a recording across three continents here in Asia, Europe, and North America. And we're here to tell the story of 
Somnial. They were at Switch 2023, one of the finalists, and we're very delighted to have Wiley, William, and Adam here to, to tell the story. Welcome to One of Their Stories. Thank you, Ruben. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Okay, great. Maybe each of you could give a brief introduction to yourselves, your background, and your role in Somnial. Maybe starting with you, Wiley, because you were here in Singapore. Great, thanks. Yep, yeah, I'm Wiley Solomon. I'm the chairman of Somnial, but I like to think that I'm more useful than you'd assume in that role. Uh, I started in big and small pharma and biotech um, research, regulatory affairs, product development, commercial and business development, then got an MBA, went to a venture capital firm in Copenhagen, was a venture partner there where I was CEO of companies, represented firms on boards, executive chairman of Forward Pharma, which made it to NASDAQ. And we distributed over a billion Singapore equivalent to shareholders. Since then, I've been doing nonprofit and life science projects, the last three being neurology focused. And all of them came from colleagues from BMS, Forward Pharma, and Bill with Somnial. Okay, Bill, that, that's your cue. That's right. So hi, I'm Bill Haynes. I'm the CEO of Somnial. So I'm a little bit of a different background. I'm a scientist and a patent attorney. My passion's always been taking really cool science and translating into something that can change health and treat people's diseases and things like that. Um, right. So I'm a, as far as formal training, I went to law school. I went to get a PhD. I did my work with Kevin Tracy, who's one of the trailblazers in the new field of bioelectronic medicine, which I kind of like to describe as zapping nerves to treat diseases, kind of the simple way to understand it. But after I did my PhD, I actually spent a significant amount of time translating technologies into new companies and new products and things like that, all the way from university inventors. I actually met Wiley a few years ago while I was working at a company, at a CAR-T company where he was the CEO and I was the COO, and that's where we started working together a little bit. And a few years later, I ran into Adam and saw the potential for his technology and for turning into some really exciting products. So I'll let Adam talk a little bit more about his technology then. Yeah, great. So if I'm introducing myself, I'm Adam Williamson. I function as, let's say, the CTO or some portion of CTO at the moment in Somnial. So I am definitely the person that is driving a lot of the research and transferring research from university to, to the company, essentially taking what would be previously academic and attempting to turn this into a product. So my background is a bachelor's and master's in electrical engineering, and I did a PhD in mechanical engineering in Germany. The Germans like to give everything a subtitle, so it's not just mechanical engineering, the subtitle is micro and nanotechnology. So it's mostly microfabrication. But since then, which is, well, that's 2011, I've been almost exclusively focused on translational research, specifically in neuroscience. After my PhD, I was awarded what they call an ERC, this is a European Research Council, starting grant. So they're considered to, not to sound my ego or something, but they're considered quite prestigious and they're quite difficult to get. So I had this ERC starting grant, which was uh, 1.6 million euros, and started my own research group in Europe, and in this case in the south of France, in Marseille, doing neuroscience research, specifically neuromodulation with like novel and new technologies. And in the process of doing that, I won two subsequent ERC proof of concept grants. And then most recently last year, won the, let's say the big brother to the first ERC grant. So it's called an ERC consolidator, 
which is a 2 million euro grant that is just exclusively funding my research. I'd say very exciting that at the end of last year, I won a third ERC proof of concept with these two guys, specifically with Samuel. So my academic background is really just, is just that. You're taking somebody that is, I would say, extraordinarily well-versed in physics and engineering. And I have an entire staff of people that are essentially neuroscientists. We attempt, and I think in this conversation, we'll describe the technology later on in more detail and you know, some of the things we're trying to do. But, but it's that. It's that I am an engineer running a team of neuroscientists. And at a very opportune point, I met Billy, and he introduced me to Wiley. And they had some novel ideas, and I thought I had a novel technology that could address some of their novel ideas. And it seems to be working fantastically. From my point of view, from, let's say, the scientific point of view, they will address some of the, let's say, the more business-oriented aspects. From the science, though, it seems to be working fantastically. Okay, great. So you guys met? And then Somniel, you founded it in, in 2022, correct? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, we'll actually be two years old this week. Two years old this week. Oh, congratulations then. Yeah. Okay. So what was, the, let's say, the thing that, that, that you guys ultimately saw in Adam's research that, that wanted you to start the company? And then let's say the first product, or at least uh, the product introduced in Singapore for solving sleep apnea via nerve simulation. Yeah. So based on my background, you know, I did a lot of work on animals and on humans and things like that, trying to establish using, like I said, zapping nerves to treat diseases by electronic medicine. At the time, everything was implanted. So you had to use surgery and wrap a wire around a nerve to do any kind of these stimulations, or you had these huge magnetic coils and things like that with, the, with you know, to use them for brain stimulation. If you try to zap a little nerve with it, it's like a nuclear bomb trying to zap a nerve. So you can't really target anything. So I actually kind of stepped out of it for a little while until I ran into Adam, who can very specifically target very tiny regions in the brain, which is basically impossible to do. And he's doing it with surf electrodes, So basically stickers, like tens type stickers, you know, so we were trying to think about how we might use that technology in something useful and where serious issues are in health. We saw one of my friends is a ENT surgeon and he does a lot of implants. And so, you know, kind of at the same time we'd heard about Inspire who is starting to come up in the sleep apnea world. They do a surgically implanted hypoglossal nerve stimulator that basically just makes your tongue stick out and that's enough to pull your tongue out of your throat. Yeah, it's, it sounds funny, but it just makes your tongue stick out and blow raspberries all night. It's a huge market though, right? Obstructive sleep apnea, it affects a billion people worldwide and 200 million just in the US and Europe. So that's a lot of people and it's actually a pretty devastating disease. So you, you know, it, keeps you awake at night so you don't get good sleep. It causes a lot of cardiac issues, all those waking and sleep cycles, puts a lot of stress on your heart. It also puts a lot of stress on your brain. So your brain, you actually end up developing more dementias and things like that. And right now the standard of care is this giant machine with a hose that blows hair in your mouth, right? The CPAP machine. Yes. Everybody hates it. Everybody drops it. It's got a 50% failure rate. 80% of people don't even get diagnosed nowadays. And we think a lot of that's because they see that CPAP machine at the end of the tunnel and they don't want anything to do with it. Surgery is the other option. So they just say, hey, I'm tired. I'm not going to do anything with it. So it's this huge unmet need. But we found a good opportunity to kind of marry Adam's very high tech approach to zapping a nerve with a really high unmet need and in an area where we can quickly de-risk his technology without a whole lot of, you know, there's not as much red tape because we're not invasive. We're just moving a tongue. So there's not a whole lot of danger in what we're doing. We needed a way to show that Adam's technology could be used to treat diseases in humans and things like that. So it's kind of this perfect marriage of all these things. 
And it makes a great technology, a great company, and a great therapy. So that's kind of the path we're heading down. And this is really just the tip of the iceberg, the first thing we're doing, but sleep apnea is a huge need. Yeah. Fantastic. Thanks. Thanks so much for seeing it. I guess, yeah, you don't really think about, well, may maybe people who are affected are, but like your quality of sleep is one thing, but then it goes on to affect everything else about your day, right? Oh, yeah. that's right. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, more accidents too. That's the other thing is, you know, if you're driving trucks or flying airplanes, you've got to be certified that you're treating your sleep apnea because there's some serious risks okay. of having accidents. Okay, great. So you guys are, are two years old now. Where are you guys kind of in your journey to market? So right now we're in the stage where we're, you know, we, we're taking the technologies from the lab. So Adam has these giant boxes the size of VCRs. He, he gets a stack of them in and we bring them into a laboratory if we ever want to do an experiment. And, you know, it's a great way to start experiments, but once you want to start getting into a real product then you've got to shrink it down and you've got to test it, we've got to prove it's safe and all those things. So that's the area we're in right now is we're trying to take Adam's giant VCR pile, turn it into a nice little box something that we can send home with patients. We've started doing some clinical trials already. We did a first clinical trial last year, which is one of the other requirements for where we are right now. We have to prove it's safe and that it can treat a disease. So we did an overnight study last year. We've done a couple more since then in a sleep lab where we take the box and we zap patients with it and we see if their sleep apneas are being treated. We're also setting up all these quality systems that we're talking about. Those are some of the requirements just to make sure that we're making a a good quality product and that it's the right thing that we're, we're going to ship out for the patients and things like that at the end of the day. So that's where we are in that development cycle right now. We're developing all these regulatory requirements and, and all these developmental quality management systems okay. and things like that. And most of that work's being done in the U.S. or Czech Republic or across both sites? That's the great thing is we're doing it at both sites, right? We're able to do it across the seas. Adam's actually okay. been heading most of that work. Adam, I don't know if you want to add anything. Yeah, sure. I can put it in context and come back to a couple of the points that you made so that it's clear that the standard of care for this specific pathology is, is in, in, inadequate, right? Like, so the non-invasive versions of therapy are these leaf blowers that you put in your mouth that you know, no one is compliant with. And it's not really, it's not really assisting the person, right? There are invasive technologies that seem to be effective. But we're not talking about a rare condition where if you have, I don't know, that the 100,000 people worldwide, yeah, maybe you could discuss a solution that was extraordinarily invasive. And I don't know if this conversation will go off into the area of some of the deep brain research that we do, where you have epilepsy and things where you're using invasive electro. But here, we're not talking about that. We're talking about a billion people, as, as William very accurately said. So there, you can't have, you just can't have. You know, even if it's cool and scientifically interesting, you just can't have an invasive solution. There's just not enough. You would never have enough surgeons to implant all the devices. And then obviously there would be some cost. There would be some cost associated with that. So here we're just using these. It's extraordinarily simple in terms of the electrode interface itself. It's just an electrode that's transcutaneously applied, right? And I think anyone that's been to the doctor and had an ECG done, right? They've, they're familiar with a very simple electrode that's on your skin. The issue is just how the stimulation is applied. We just work slightly more intelligently in the way we apply the stimulation. And I don't think we're going to go through the derivation of the phenomenon through Maxwell equations on this podcast. I think everyone will turn the podcast off. But it's just about working slightly more creatively rather than just brute force trying to activate something. And in the case of the, the let's call it like the technology transfer, 
I'm wearing two hats, right? And I hate to speak in cliches, but I have this academic hat where I pursue my academic goals, publications, grants, research, other topics. And then this hat that Billy started to allude to at the end of his answer, um, which is a downscaling of academic equipment, because you can preliminarily do all of this with CE marked very safe stimulators. However, it does look like a 1980s VCR. It's a lot of equipment that you would previously have needed. And that's fine. You're talking about university equipment that's very versatile. It has lots of options. But you don't need such options once you find and identify the correct parameter space. In fact, you can make a very discreet, very small device if you know precisely what parameters you need. What I, what I mean there is you don't have to have the ability to change between all the electrical parameters, all the voltages, all the currents, all the frequencies. You don't need that once you identify that. And so the development in Czech Republic, specifically, let's say, with Somnial Technologies, is just that. You take this university equipment, we identify parameter spaces for specific patients, and then you downscale the device to something that's discrete, that's portable, that's super easy to use, and that people don't absolutely detest the way they detest their PAT machine. Right. And so that's it. I would conclude my, my, my additional comments for Billy with that, which is that's the process. And so in the next, I would say, year or so, following a couple of scheduled upcoming clinical trials with some expanded patient populations, I hope that we're in a position to have this very discreet looking box device FDA approved. And I think maybe you guys want to talk about the breakthrough at this point, but that's where I would conclude the, my additional comments. Okay, great, thanks. So just curious, I mean, you talked a little bit about the parameter space and how you apply the stimulation. Is that going to be, I'll say, patient-specific or kind of quite general once you yeah, narrow, narrow things down? So the style of stimulation is all, I mean, anyone that just finds me on Google Scholar can probably identify the method of stimulation we're using because my most recent, I don't know, 25 papers will all have the concept of temporal interference in the title. So probably we're using temporal interference. So what is that? That's combinations of very high frequencies that, add, I mean, anyone that's been to a, like a high school math class listening to this, you can imagine at some point, somebody showed you a sine wave and then somebody showed you what happens when you have two sine waves that have different frequencies and they combine. It looks like a sine wave that gets bigger and then smaller and bigger and smaller. And if you just Google the phenomenon amplitude modulation, you'll see one of these sine waves that gets bigger and smaller. So we use this. So I probably, I'm, this is a, I'm literally going to answer your question about patient specificity. So the answer is firstly, two part answer. Firstly, no, because we're using this phenomenon from my research, yeah, from some other colleagues of my research. But the second part is yes because you have sizes, right? So then we have patients that have specific needs. So you can't have just one electrode that will be fitting on one person. So it, it becomes a very customizable set of very discrete transcutaneous electrodes so that it is you know, essentially independent of whether the person with a pathology is a very large man, a, a six foot four man 220, 220 pounds, you know, so the equivalent of like, a, whatever, well over a hundred kilos. This will work just fine because we have customized a layout for this person or this, let's say this size person. And it doesn't matter if the person is a five foot two, very petite human female 
we have a customized layout for them too. It, it works. It works very well. And you can see in the background in terms of the technology, this is changing the transcutaneous electrodes, but it doesn't necessarily change at all the somnial technology, the box, which makes it, I think, extraordinarily easy to manufacture and produce. Okay. So then, I mean, you could imagine like different fittings, right? You, you'd have to be fitted by your physician, your sleep specialist. They would, they would test out a parameter set on the patient and then find an optimal one. And then that's their take home. Absolutely. I think it's literally as straightforward as having something as dumb as small, medium, large, extra large, right? Yeah. And an associated set of parameters, let's say maximum two or three variations from those sizes that your primary care, let's say your ENT, right? Your ear, nose and throat specialist, your, your physician, you simply come in exactly as you said, they look at you and they say, well, I'm not going to put the small on you because you, sir, are this six foot four gentleman who weighs 110 kilos. So I'll use the, I'll use the large, put it on, try parameter space one, two, and three, and say, wow, this is this parameter space three. It's just, this is ideal. I then the ENT says, oh, I love the way this is working. And the person goes home and they start using the device uh, in that. And if they're not satisfied, I think obviously they would be able to come back to this ENT and they can try a different parameter space or a different, a different sizing. But I, I think it's, a, I think it's, a, I've, you've alluded to it yourself as the questioner. And I think it's exactly that. Well, and just to add a little bit, that's actually not a whole lot different than the workflow already in sleep apnea, right? Because patients uh, go to the ENT, they go to a sleep study, they do a titration study with their CPAP machine overnight. They try a couple of different masks and maybe they wear a full face mask that covers their mouth and nose. Maybe they wear one that just does their nose, all that. They have all these different options that the ENT runs through and tries them all out and sees what works. So we're not really changing the workflow for the ENTs in any way either. The other thing we didn't get into is, you know, Adam's got a lot of fantastic technology, but this is really just version one. Right. So we're going to be able to do a lot more sensors and things like that and get a lot more refined parameters going through the different versions in the future. So, you know, we're really going to have some elegant solutions once we look at 10 years from now. And no offense, Adam, but this first solution we have, we're going to look back and say, oh, my God, that's the dumbest thing we've ever done. That box is terrible. <laughs> right. In 10 years, it's going to be an amazing, e even more amazing. Yeah, because like, OK, so right there, what are we really saying? Well, I started out one of my, you know, usually too long answers by describing simple electrode interfaces, but working a little bit smarter in how we apply signals from those electrodes. And so we, I mean, we've, we've only just begun to use some of these more exotic, they're not even that exotic, are they? Methods of stimulation rather than just taking electric fields and turning them on brute force, we have multiple creative methods of creating combinations of effects that appear at depth. It doesn't simply have to be the way it previously was with a TENS unit. So yes, I, I totally agree. In, in 10 years, we'll be looking back and thinking, oh, I can't believe we didn't combine them like this. And we see how unbelievably effective it is comparatively. Yeah, sure. Thanks. I just wanted to, to quickly ask, I mean, the core IP of all of this, is it, let's say, the temporal interference and the stimulation patterns, or is it the, the geometry of the electrodes or combination of the two? Yeah, so it's really a combination of them make the tongue move to treat sleep apnea. It's really basic and simple at this stage, right? So it's, it keeps it nice and broad, um, but we've also got a lot of 
opportunities for improvement to develop new IP. And that's, you know, every year we're filing, actually every six months right now, we're filing a new application. So, you know, every time we get some more technologies, anytime we get something that looks like a new invention, that's one of the nice things about having a patent attorney on board at a very <laughs> early stage is that we can identify those things. And it can be quite if, annoying. You know, I don't have though. time. It can, yeah, sorry, it, it can be, can be it can be quite annoying having a patent attorney on board who is constantly looking for new opportunities. <laughs> the level of the level of harassment that some of our staff are feeling from our uh, onboard patent attorney. But no, I guess it's so. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just wanted to say it's like yes, it's an advantage. But for those of you with your own company, if you're thinking about having a patent attorney involved, pretty questioned on a regular basis. Especially <laughs> when I have knowledge of the space, right? That's even worse. It is. Yeah. Sorry, working in bioelectronics. With a patent attorney from bioelectronics, this is, I, yeah, anyway, you get the point. Yes. I love you too, Adam. Yeah. Yeah, lots, lots of fun. And yeah, I mean, ultimately the need to protect what you're working on. I don't know if there's anything else you want to share about your approach to IP, how you approach your patents, or is it really just, you know, kind of all ideas and again, because you have the patent attorney on board, you don't have these large fees or as large of fees, and then you're trying to protect the future or multiple futures. Well, that's right. So, you know, it is a little, frankly, it can be a little maddening for me sometimes because I'm trying to keep in mind where the technology is going, what a product will look like, how to combine all those into a patentable package, something we can actually put an application in for. And I have to keep track of everything that's going on in the field at the same time. And this is a, it's a, you know, this is a super hot field. Everybody is working in this, all kinds of new technologies, all kinds of new things coming out every week. So it can be hard to keep track of everything, but it also, that's, you know, what makes it exciting too, is that we get to carve out our own space and we're carving out a pretty big, important chunk in this new field. Yeah. So, so right now you're targeting sleep apnea. So it's a medical device. Do you ever see this crossing over to, let's say quote unquote, consumer electronics? One day we might see a product from you guys at, at CES. So I'll give my answer and that's that I'm much more medically focused. So to me, it, I tend to make medical devices to treat a disease. Okay. I do like to be very patient focused. We didn't talk about that a little earlier, but you know, we like to, part of our design input is that these things need to be something that a normal patient can use themselves at home. So this thing needs to be something a patient can stick on their chin at night themselves. They don't need an ENT with them every night. They don't need somebody following them around or doing a video call every night, something like that. So what, so my answer is that we make medical devices, but they're for consumers but I'll let the others add anything they might want to add to. I mean, we started this podcast. The listeners didn't get to hear that portion, but it was with me struggling to find the correct microphone and headset. And I went off into my house and found one of my teenagers who provided me with, you know, it's an upgrade. That specific teenager would be absolutely ecstatic if we were developing a product that would then subsequently show up at CES. So no, I think Billy's, William's, William's answer is correct. Like, yes, of course, Somniel is, is focused on sleep apnea and, this, and the sleep apnea product. But in one of my previous answers describing combinations of stimulation, the device and IP that is used in this specific technology, there's no reason because it's completely non-invasive. There's no reason you can't just reorient the electrodes. Like we're just, we're revisiting our previous answer, right? We've described, uh, let's change electrode arrangements for small, medium, and large humans, right? 
Well, if you're doing that, then let's change electrodes into an arrangement that is doing not the tongue, but perhaps something else. But the core technology is still providing the stimulus and we didn't need to change it. Or let's say it just required a different parameter space, which could be as simple as loading something different onto the device. So I would say looking forward, William's answer was very, let's say it was concise and very conservative in that you're saying, no, we're not focusing on this. And no, I don't at the moment have a team of researchers that are creating the next cool headset that will be connected via, you know, your, your multimedia apps and all of your home devices and things like this for some type of an enhanced reality experience. But like, let's be honest, there's no, there's nothing stopping that, at least in terms of what is possessed by Somnium, right? Okay, great. I mean, I've got this next section, right? Translating technology to market. You guys already talked about this a little bit in the testing that you're doing and the device downsizing that you're doing. But ultimately, let's say in the United States, this goes to market. How do you get this to, let's say, a first 10,000 people, you know, to really prove that it's at working on multiple population levels? So a lot of it, the, so we kind of talked about a little bit at the beginning. So a lot of the first steps are going to be clinical trials. Yes. So we had to put into patients. So we had to make sure that it's, we show that it's safe and effective in all these patients. That's actually relatively straightforward with our device though, because it's considered not a non-significant risk device. Most places it's a class two in most places in Singapore, I think it'd be class B is what that translates to. So you kind of understand that context. So that means it's a device that it's important to do the testing on, but it doesn't need huge populations. So we're hoping to do, you know, 200 patient trials to get approval. After that, we need to start scaling up our manufacturing. That's going to be one of the big things we have to work on. And maybe we can talk about that a little bit more if we want to. You know, that's not something we're terribly worried about, though, because this is an electronics-based device. So really, we just, you know, we make the circuit boards, we get the batteries, we get a print, a casing made, and you know, stick everything together. It's not like we have a huge rate limiting step in any of that manufacturing. So that scale up, same thing with the distribution, you know, we can just stick this in a box and mail it out to the physicians. So distribution is relatively straightforward. So growth won't be too onerous. I don't know if the others have anything else they want to add while you've been very quiet. Yeah. yeah. The, the point of the device, we have to overcome some of the bad tens reputations. People have tried to do things like this before and it just didn't work. So having the key opinion leaders, the physicians drive the uptake of this, we see would be very important, right? So as you can see, it's very deep tech. It's something totally new. And, you know, hopefully people will start to realize that this isn't just one of those flimsy consumer devices that have been tried before. And just to go along with that, key opinion leaders, they're definitely a huge driver of this. And so, you know, some companies have some issues going in to talk to physicians and trying to get them to understand what's important about their product and things like that. We're, again, we're heavily science focused. We're already going and presenting at sleep meetings, which is where all the sleep doctors go in the United States and worldwide, actually. And, you know, everybody has good questions and we can answer everything already. So it's not... We're not worried about having to convince the key opinion leaders that we're a good technology. We really just need to get in front of the key opinion leaders and we're convinced that's enough and it's going to explode just from there, just because they'll see the potential and understand the science behind what we're doing. Okay, great. So then, I mean, it's, it's contract manufacturing, I assume at the end of the day, especially as you start out. Yeah, but 
you know, we'll see. And I, I think this is part of the Singapore thing is we are in the process of planning um, next steps. Once we get through the clinical, we're in the process of identifying the final device parameters. And once we have that, uh, we're going to start working on, you know, more a more consumer focused, advanced prototype, manufacturing, planning, regulatory affairs for Asia, um, as well as preparations for market access and eventually sales and marketing. So, you know, part of that interest that came out of Switch and Slingshot was the idea of having an entity that is focused on just that, whether it's working with a supply chain in Asia or, and, or contract manufacturers, and even the potential of eventually having our own manufacturing to some extent, but all of that to be planned out of a new organization that we are looking ahead to at this point. Okay, great. Just curious, have, have you been back to Singapore since since Switch? I, I feel like I have just because I speak with a Singaporean okay. every week, but no, I haven't been physically back. Okay, but yeah, you've made some connections. We've made some connections, and in fact, we've actually been more active than simply connections. We coordinated a inter-Eureka grant between the clinical hospital that Adam is affiliated with and a Singaporean consulting company. So we, yeah, we filed that in December and that was definitely an outcome of connections I made at Switch. Yeah, that was an interesting experience too, because from my experience and perspective, it's pretty straightforward for me to, if, like, let's just say for, again, putting my academic hat on, right? Apply for grants within the European Union because that's where I am. And there are lots of grants here for people that are in the European Union. There are, for international collaborations, lots of grants, but lots of grants are focused towards North America. So you see a lot of funding that's available. For completely unrelated topics, I have a DARPA project and an NIH grant where I'm the European partner or a European partner with a collaborator in the United States. It's very common. But you just don't see that same type of support often for something in Asia. I mean, maybe you see a grant call that's very specific that says like your country plus Japan. Yeah. And that's the that's what they're, they, they, yeah, exactly. They just say that. So submitting this injury to Rika with Wiley and, and our colleagues now in Singapore, specifically in the text of this grant, it was very, I mean, I don't use the word fun lightly, but it was fun because we were showing the value that you could have seen in having me do some science stuff and Somniel do some business stuff. And I'm using the word stuff here to be like, to emphasize how it's just a grant, right? It's just a grant. We would do, we would be having the same science and business activity, but the added value was that we were speaking with a consultant whose primary focus in life was access to Asian markets. And I'm sure some listeners have noticed that's not a small market. No. So they were taking what we're developing and then just saying, hey, let's show you. Because clearly, and that's definitely in my case, because Adam, you have no experience here, right? And want some experience. Let me show you how this is done. And so even if we're not awarded that grant, that was a super valuable 
connection and not in the cliche like, oh, I made connections. Not like that. It was a super value connection and learning experience to start to see how you can really market or manufacture in that specific part of the world. So we're, again, based on my own personal experience, it's very, it's been very North American, very Eurocentric, right? So, and you see there's all kinds of other, for my academic colleagues, you have a, there's a few that say things like National University of Singapore, you should get involved there. You should talk to somebody there. They have great resources. You should be looking at mutual grants with those guys. It's like, and so now because of this contact, Wiley coming back and saying, hey man, this is a fantastic opportunity. I like some, uh, there's just not many of my colleagues, but the few that are involved there, they say, this is a great place to be. And so then you look up the statistics for places in Singapore. Say, for example, National University of Singapore. Uh, you have departments there that are ranked 10 in the world, right? Like I think some of the engineering departments and the medical faculty there are seriously world-class now that I go and look at it, right? But this wouldn't have been something that I would have previously previously considered as I just didn't know, right? So it's been, it's like, I think that it's good that Wiley's emphasized that it's not just like, ah, oh, we made some connections. It's like, no, really, like we have met some people and are attempting to be introduced to others to do a little more work in that area. I, it, it, also from just this specific academic science side. I think it's very interesting. Okay, great, fantastic. Our marketing department will be absolutely happy to hear that. I mean, but yeah, I mean, I mean, jokes aside, right? I mean, Asia, right? I mean, and yeah. Singapore, we do try to be a, a bit of a global tech node. And yeah, we're small. We can't do it for everything. But yeah, it's great to see, you know, fruits of that coming out of Switch. And I'm sure there's success stories or I guess beginnings of success stories beyond Somnial as well. The next part here, I want to talk a little bit about scaling. You talk about potential billion users, right? I mean, which is just enormous. And I'm sure your investors love that and potential investors. But I mean, practically, once once you guys get your FDA approval and start getting this to market, let's say, where's the where would you say is the linear growth for Somnial? You know, where you just more more inputs, equivalent outputs, and then you say the nonlinear growth for both maybe sleep apnea and possibly beyond. Well, we talked a little bit about you know how we're an electronics company and how that's really going to help us on the manufacturing side. And what that'll really do is keep our cost of goods down as we grow, right? Because you know, once we scale, once we have to make more chips and things like that, it's not really hard to make more chips. But what's really going to drive that is when we get reimbursement approval from, you know, first we're starting with the US FDA and getting the approvals there. So we'll have to get centers for Medicaid and Medicare, their reimbursement approval, things like that. So basically once people are paying for it and, you know, that really lets us increase the volume of the sales. Once the volume of the sales goes up, then the cost of goods go down. And that's really where we get that nonlinear growth. It's kind of just, you know, this is almost a standard business school model where it's just, you sell more and you make more money. I mean, would you guys go on like your customers or let's say the end users, would this be like a, a rental model or ultimately, you know, it's going to be so good. Okay. You rent for two months, but then you buy it because you're, you, you need it for your quality of life. So it's pretty similar, actually, again, to the, to the CPAP machines. So we don't have to create a new model. So what happens with CPAP is that right now what they actually do is a rent-to-own model. So the insurance companies pay the monthly fee for, I'm going to blank and give you the wrong number, but I think it's two years. Once they do X number of time, then they've done it long enough and then they get to keep the, the machine forever. It's still a razor blade model, though, because they've still got to keep buying filters and masks and all these other things that they need to keep buying all the time. We're still actually going to do the razor blade model too. We'll have patches, things like that. We'll hopefully we'll also have some software components. So that'll lead to a subscription model on top of having to keep buying 
disposable elements of the device. So that's another income stream for us. And that actually tags into another source of revenue for the physicians now. So that's driving them to use our device a little bit more is they remote patient monitoring to make sure patients are actually using the device and make sure that it's treating them and they're sleeping better and that they're, you know, their pulse rate, things like that are all stabilizing all those things that they can monitor remotely. We're going to offer all of those as part of the subscription. So that's, again, that's another revenue stream for us. It's a revenue stream for the physicians. And the insurance companies actually like paying those revenues, those costs, because it improves the patient's health. Yeah. Um, actually, I, I just want to go on a quick tangent. I was just talking to somebody the other day here on, let's say, quantified self. And there, there's many different diagnostics things you could go into quantified health or even insurance models for that. But I mean, I, I could see also, I mean, not just for sleep apnea, but your technology in a non-invasive way, again, just leading to, to better health monitoring maybe on a 24 seven or maybe, you know, more periodic and then going into, yeah, feeding into better healthcare for healthy people, better healthcare for people with chronic conditions and then yeah, better physician decisions based on that data. Is, is that something you guys look at or? Yeah, it's a fantastic discussion because it also kind of gets into management philosophy, which is, you know, allowing the company to live its own life, right? And uh, we, we have a pretty diverse group of thinkers in this company. It's a small company, but as you can see, it's pretty complementary and broad. So it's, I mean, that's really the great thing about a startup is we've already grown in ways that we never would have planned or anticipated. It, and you just have to allow the science, the company, the people to live their own life. And it could end up going unforeseen directions, right? Billy, what was, you want to take it from there? Yeah. So I was just going to add, so we've already had some discussions with some of these groups that are making these, you know, whole body monitoring systems. We'd like to incorporate some of those things that they're monitoring into our devices and our feedback loops and things like that. So we've talked with them about whether we might make, incorporate some of their technology into our device to do that monitoring ourselves. And that might actually let it link into a larger system, you know, and community of sensors and things like that. But that's part of what's nice about the startup space now is there are so many groups that are doing these things that we can collaborate with them and kind of snap in with their technology and make sure that we're growing in the right direction. We're not making our own proprietary thing that we're going to end up sitting on an island somewhere and not going to be able to develop with what's going on in the field. We could make our own device and we could make our own island and it could be a huge island and we could monitor everything eventually, uh, but we don't have to. So we have options and we can grow the way that we need to grow. There's also the possibility to monitor things that you didn't know you could monitor, but, it, but it is, it is that it's that you very seamlessly take the Somnial technology and combine it with things. And I think this was the questioner's point, right? was with like wearables, like wearable monitors. There's lots of wearable monitors. Some are good, some are bad, some are fantastic. Huh? But if you start providing a closed loop feedback where you can evoke or provoke different responses, which can then be subsequently non-invasively monitored by either some of the technologies that already exist or a combined effort between Somnial and one of those other technologies, you can see it is, I would totally agree with the original question, which is some type of total health monitoring that is, yes, you can wear things now, but in combination, if you can evoke and provoke additional pieces of activity that can be, then be monitors as an additional biomarker that could have substantial value um, 
in terms of uh, predicting outputs, right? Like mo monitoring the, we were talking about sleep, right? Like there's no reason that you can't monitor different aspects of what and how you slept by adding some of these stimulations in combination with some of the already available technologies that monitor, right? And then you end up monitoring a new biomarker. Yeah, I, I think it's a fantastic idea. And like you, you can see the, the potential. Okay, yeah. I mean, the, the world's your oyster, hopefully. We already talked a little bit about what's next for, for Somnial, I guess, in, in the immediate future. I mean, do you guys have any, let's say, absolute grandest dreams for, for the technology or, or sleep apnea itself that, that you'd like to share today? I'm going to let Adam go first. He always has the great grand dreams. Mine are pretty good too, but I'll let Adam go first. Grand dreams in terms of sleep apnea exclusively? Sleep apnea and Is that or, the... or beyond, or beyond with your technology. I don't see any reason why Somnial does not become the premier company in sleep medicine. I think we have a literal potential to become the premier company, let's say starting in the next year to two years in terms of this first industry that we've been describing with you. But as a lot of my longer answered answers have probably hinted at, the number of other indices that we could be controlling and assisting with are pretty extensive. And since we have started out with such expertise in sleep and just activating, let's say, specific muscles in the form of the tongue in sleep apnea, and knowing that with a redistribution of our electrodes and to some degree maintaining the same core technology, that we could be interfacing with numerous other areas in sleep in a very straightforward manner. And I would just say, you know, hinting at this, it's uh, of course, I'm already investigating this because I can, as I live in two different worlds. There's the world where I'm participating in the driving and downscaling of university style equipment in the case of sleep apnea, but I still have interesting academic questions that I'd like to answer. And I'm of course, if you follow my publications list, already looking at some of these things in humans. And you can see if there are commercial potentials there, the natural pathway is going to be out through Somnium. So that's my, you said my grand answer, really. That's that. I don't, I just don't see why Somnium could not become a premier company in sleep medicine. And you know, what's really exciting is bioelectronic medicine is actually an incredibly new field itself. And we barely understand most of the ways that the brain and the nervous system controls the body. So as we learn how all those different nerves control all of those different things, for example, my PhD work with Kevin Tracy, that was all based on inflammation. So treating Crohn's disease and rheumatoid arthritis by zapping the, the vagus nerve, you know, these are all things that 20 years before that, nobody had any idea that it could work. Actually, that's a lie. It's funny because a lot of bioelectronic medicine actually started from looking at old acupuncture maps. So they looked at acupuncture. They found that like, if you poke the ear, the right spot, it affects the spleen somehow. Well, it, it turns out the vagus nerve runs from the ear and goes to the spleen. I don't know if that's the exact spot, but that's the kind of idea is that there are so many, there's so many opportunities. We don't know all the opportunities. It's a wide open field. With our technology, we're able to zap a whole lot of very specific nerves wherever they are in very specific ways so we can learn, use all those learnings in the field and we can come in and apply our technology to all those new indications. So, you know, it's, it's exciting to watch the field grow because it just means more products for us. 
Okay, great, fantastic. So before we wrap up, just any, let's say, take-home lessons from, I mean, you guys are multiple-time entrepreneurs. So any advice you, you could give to our listeners, either first-time or multiple-time entrepreneurs, you know, what's new in 2024 that wasn't so applicable when you started your entrepreneurship journey years ago? I don't know if you guys have an answer to that, but I have to say, I don't see a whole lot new. The rules apply, you know, perseverance is super important. Um, but, you know, it hasn't changed for me. Okay. How about you guys? Well, you know, the one thing I want to add is that it's very important to have a good team, even at a small stage, even once you're, you know, when you get going, you can't do everything on your own. You can't know everything. And so for me, having this core team, the three of us, that's been some very complimentary skill sets. But we've also had a great team that we brought in. So Lee Shangold has been our MD and he's been our sleep doctor for a long time. Malin is a neurobiologist. She came out of Adam's group and she's been really taking a lot of charge in Somniel as a company. You know, there's a lot of opportunities for a lot of growth. You need a lot of good minds and a lot of good skills to, to move these things forward. So having that team is important. The other thing to me, from just coming from the very, very early stage technologies, it's really important to think about the right experiments and how to de-risk your pathway as quickly as possible. And, and for me, that it really includes clinical trial. How, what's the fastest path to get into a human clinical trial? No, those are excellent answers. I don't have anything specifically to add to that. I think that's very clear. Is Wiley's comments about it's still the same, right? Whether you're talking about standard procedure, you know, like say what was true 10 years ago is still true today in terms of his word was perseverance. So yes. And then in terms of what William was saying, having the correct team. So I'm sure having not commercialized anything myself 10 years ago, I'm sure that having the correct team was also very important then. And it, I think it's true now. And we, I think we have the correct team. Okay, great. Thanks. Before we wrap up, what's the best way for someone to, to connect with you guys? They, they've heard the episode. They, they want to find more. You mentioned a little bit. Adam, about your Google Scholar and, and ways to connect you through your research lens. But yeah, if someone wants to find out about Somnial, what's the best way to connect? Yeah, we're, we're rather product focused, so we're not very active on social media, but Somnial does have a LinkedIn. And I also, and so does Bill, have our individual LinkedIn accounts, um, W-Y-L-E, I'm easy to find. Yeah, LinkedIn's definitely the best place. Happy to connect on there. Leads to a lot of good conversations. Okay, great. Well, thanks. Thanks again so much for- I refuse to make a LinkedIn account. I refuse to make a LinkedIn <laughs> account. I am already receiving hundreds of emails from my other academic address. So there's no, just if you want to contact them, you, you go contact them on LinkedIn. <laughs> okay. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Thanks. Thanks so much for your time today, this morning in the US, this afternoon in Czech Republic and this evening here in Singapore. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And with that, thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please help to grow the show by sharing with a friend or colleague. Please also hit like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to look out for future episodes as we explore the intersection of science, technology, and business in Singapore together.